one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another episode of Red Sox Beat, your home for baseball and Red Sox everywhere, really, not just New England. If you you can listen wherever because we're a podcast, that's the best thing about it. Joined to join you another, uh, pleased to join you for another week here on CLNS Radio. I'm joined by, of course, my partner Nathan Rollins. Nate, how you doing? Doing good. How about yourself? Not too bad. Not too bad. Before we get going, I just want to remind fans that. We are, of course, the best of written, spoken, and watched Boston sports coverage. For the best of all of us, turn to CLNS Radio's YouTube channel, which is just www.youtube.com backslash CLNS Radio. There you'll find HD locker rooms, interviews, full-length locker room interviews, Garden Report, which is the HD post-game show we do for right from the parquet floor at the TD Garden itself. So don't forget to go on there, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and you'll get all that great stuff. And we always update, especially now with Celtic season just around the corner, Falls, falls here, Red Sox are out. Baseball season's coming to an end, and that stuff's starting right back up, so we'll get, start to get some more great content up there. But baseball season's not quite yet, yet done yet. We've got playoffs coming up. Red Sox are done, however. They ended yesterday with the Derek Jeter saga. But before we get to any Red Sox stuff, uh, big news of the day is Ron Gardenhire, the Minnesota Twins manager. He, of course, most people know that day after the season ends it's kind of becomes like in the nfl especially it comes becomes black monday where everyone gets fired where today ron gardner day after the season's over lost his job in minnesota now this is the he was there for 13 seasons he had 92 losses this year this fourth straight season with at least 92 wins 92 losses or more that just is awful but he was also responsible for the resurgence of the club starting around two, especially the central division titles in 2002 and his first year on the job. So, now, I mean, I guess after a while, Nate, you kind of have to say this was coming because they've been so bad for so long now. And since those couple years they were good, yeah, he's been managing, but he hasn't really done much with what he's had. So, Nate, before I say my piece, I want to know, do you, do you think this was justifiable? Do you think this was a good or right decision? Or do you think it's just the talent on their roster and that he wasn't, he really wasn't to blame? Uh, I honestly think it was the talent on uh, the Steve's roster. I mean, you look at it, their best player, Joe Mauer, dealing with serious injury concerns. I mean, even in their heyday, uh, Justin Morneau missed, uh, missed a ton of games. Mauer would miss a ton of games. I mean, you look up and down that pitching staff. I mean, you got Phil Hughes as your ace. I mean, I think he did the best with what he had on that team, definitely playing in a tough central division with um, Kansas City, who's making the playoffs, Detroit, uh, Chicago is always a pretty dang good team. But then you got to look at the flip side. Sometimes a manager's time just runs out, and that right here, that proved to be the case. His time in Minnesota just ran out, and, uh, you know, you got to go in a different direction sometimes. Yeah, it's tough. I'm not a big fan of, I mean, obviously, and not just baseball, but all sports, when you fire a manager, it's it's almost to the sense of you can't really fire the whole team, so you gotta you got to blame it on somebody. And, unfortunately, Gardenhire kind of got the blame as the, the head of the team here. But, like you said, with Phil Hughes as your ace, you really aren't going anywhere. And, look, it, Phil, Phil Hughes had a great season. I'm not taking anything away from that. But you can measure where Phil Hughes should be, you know, your roster and your – rotation it should be a three starter two starter even just not he should not be the ace he's not 
really an ace pitcher, but the numbers he had this year were great. But again, Phil Hughes is not that guy. So that kind of speaks to where their rotation was. And like you said, there were injuries on the team and all that stuff. And I just, I hate managers getting fired for things that aren't their fault, but consistently having 92 wins or more, 92 losses or more for the last 40 seasons, you kind of have to do something. And I guess this is all the really the twins really could do. Yeah, I mean, you you said it right. You got to blame it on somebody. <laughs> you can't really gut the whole team, especially in Minnesota. And you know, uh, unfortunately, Gardner was the one who took the blame. I'm sure the GM will be out of there pretty soon as well. Yeah, uh, ESPN.com was reporting that they're giving the GM another year, oh. <laughs> and and then they're going to go from there. And I feel like that's probably not the right decision. I feel like if anything, they should go together. If you're going to fire a manager, you might as well fire the GM too, considering they, he, he's the one who blames to not having the talent on the team. So I feel like at this point, Minnesota could use a clean slate almost, if you want to call it that. But um, yeah, I just don't think the Twins really have had it. But Ron Gardner did do a lot for this for this team. He put them back on the map, like I said, starting in 2002. And he, he is the reason why this team got better and got back into the spotlight of Major League Baseball. He is partially, obviously, in that case, responsible for them getting a new ballpark because he made them good again and made people come to the ballpark and gave them the money to do that. So Gardner did do a lot of things right for Minnesota, and he he helped them get to where they're supposed to be. And I think that this year having the All-Star game in Minnesota was also a tribute to that where without him getting that team back to where they go, yeah, they had better talent back in the day, but – that ballpark wouldn't have been there. The all-star game would have been there. So despite the firing, Gardner definitely is still going to be considered one of the better managers in the leagues. And he is probably going to be considered for one of the open vacancies coming up this winter. Big ones are Phoenix and uh, I'm blanking. Houston Astros. Yeah. Nate, before I ramble on and forget what I'm saying, I'll come back to me. Um, what do you think? is next for Gardner. Where do you think he's going to go? Um, I see him filling in sort of a, uh, what, um, Tony, uh, De La Rue, excuse me, <laughs> what um guy for St. Louis did. I, I'm blanking on his name as well. Uh, coming back as sort of a bench coach job, sort of a uh, instructor for a team. Um, I, I don't yeah. see him as uh, in line for a manager position anytime soon. I mean, his age is definitely a factor. Um, lots of teams with young, young players will look at his age and say, well, you know, he can't really connect with the players, which they could have a pretty good point with that. But um, I see him as more of a bench coach, maybe upper management and, uh, you know, I hope for the best of him. He's a good guy. He's a great baseball mind, and uh, he did a hell of a job with the Twins. The name you're going for is Tony La Russa, yes, yes. My, de- my dear friend. Um, but, yeah, because I've, I've heard some things where Houston or Ar- the Arizona Diamondbacks could be in the hunt for him, but I just don't think at this point he wants to go to a team that needs to take a little process. He would like to step in uh, – Texas is one team that needs no coach, but they are looking to go internal is what everything that I've read. So he most likely wouldn't get the job there. I kind of have to agree to some sense. Now, I think if he got the right offer as a manager, I think he would do it. I think he still wants to manage in this league. I just think that he's, I think in the back of his head though, he still is not a fan of what he got in return. He's, he's not really happy with the whole not getting talent. And I think that's part of to do with the GM as well, but I think he still has that itch to coach and manage, but I think that you have to feel that he wants 
to feel important again. He wants to feel like someone's caring about him other than just putting him on the bench and kind of blaming him for all this catastrophe that's been going on in Minnesota with their awful seasons the last four or five years. So I kind of have to agree that most likely his role would become uh, front office or like bench coach or just like a aid to a team somewhere. But I highly doubt that next year he will be in a manager role for any team, really. I just don't think that's going to be a realistic situation for him coming off of four losing seasons in a row. I think that, yes, he has a track record, but I think that he's going to – no team's really going to take a shot because considering most of the teams that he would have a chance to manage for would come to the sense of, okay, well, we, we don't have that great of a team either, and if he can't manage the Twins where he already was and got fired, then how is he going to be able to come here and do it? Yeah, and I agree with you, and I mean, that during the 2010 season, that was that was a big – uh, I think, uh, you know, make a break year. Is Rod and Garden higher at a different level as a manager, or is he, you know, one of the average managers who's just been along for a, a while? And, I mean, and I look at the 2010 team he had. He had some good players on there. I mean, Kadaya, Orlando Hudson, J.J. Hardy, uh, Span, Kubel, Tomei, uh, Morneau to go with Maurer. I mean, Pavano, he had a, he had a good team in that year. And uh, not being able to get through in the playoffs is definitely, definitely – been uh, an Achilles heel for him but um, like I said earlier I just see him going as uh, more of a front office type job I have to agree there he, he's he been at the franchise, the Twins that is since 1987 in one capacity or the other so he's been in Minnesota for a long time now and I think that factor alone might lead me towards believing that he is not going to be Really, he's not gonna. He's he would manage, but I don't think he's gonna end up managing anywhere else because unless he gets the sweetest offer out there, he's most likely not gonna want to go with any other club because he's been so loyal to the Twins and been there for so long. And now, now that they've closed the door in that era with him, I think I just feel like he will not. He really won't turn to managing anymore because he's been with the Twins for so long. That's all he's really known. And he's fifty six. You know, <laughs> that's yep. pretty pretty old to start start a new journey with a new team. At some point, you got to stop. Yeah, like you said, he's fifty six, and like I said, he, he's going to have to deal with rebuilding wherever he ends up. So for me, it's, okay, well, I don't really think he's going to want to go at 56 years of age, wait 10 years for a club to prosper. By then, you're, what, 66, 67 years old waiting to win your next World Series. It's not going to happen. It's, it's by 66, people are done. People are retired in the real world, never mind managing. So I think this might be it for Ron Gardenhire. You might see him pop up in the league like Tony La Russa or Joe Torre type. Look, Gardenhire's name in baseball isn't tarnished through these last four years. He's a great manager. He, we know, we all know what he did, like he said, like I said, with the Twins and what he did with this franchise and for this franchise. So, I think all in all, his name will be good going forward. Whether he comes back at all next year in some capacity or not, who knows? He could be hired. Obviously, media is an option, like it is for most people. But I don't really see him on TV that kind of role. I just see him either in the game or retirement for good. So, definitely have to wait and see what goes on in the winter for that. But either way, Ron Gardenhire today, uh, Monday, September 29th, was was fired by the Minnesota Twins day after the season and day after his his Twins missing the playoffs for the uh, straight fourth straight year, winning losing 92 games again for the last four years now. He's won at least he's lost at least 92 games, so definitely probably the right decision there by the Twins. Kind of upsetting though. It's 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 a shame. It's kind of, it's like closing the book on an era. But either way, errors have to come to an end, and that's my cheap way to segue to our next topic, because an, an error definitely came to an end here in Boston this weekend, Nathan, and he, and of course, that is Derek Jeter. Now, 
before I get into my whole staff about Derek Jeter, we talked a little bit this about this last episode and how we felt and what we wanted from the Red Sox and what we thought they would do for their ceremony, his ceremony. Now, before I get anything involving what he said and what his opinions were, what did you think of that ceremony they had yesterday? I thought it was a nice touch to uh, fitting into a weekend. I mean, bringing back some of the greats to uh, have a play in Boston and, uh, you know, having them meet one of the arguably one of the best uh, shortstops ever play the game. That was a nice, nice fitting way to end. And, um, you know, I kind of found it funny. I was talking to a few people and they go, hey, the Red Sox had a better ceremony than the Yankees did in freaking New York. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, definitely nice. Definitely nice to see Pierce back. Looks great, great, great in the uh, Celtic screen. And uh, I found it interesting. And, you know, I was happy he got that hit. Yeah, it was very nice to see Pierce back in green, as much as most Washington Wizards fans do not like that. <laughs> he was back in his Celtics Pierce warm-up jacket for one day as the former captain of this team. And Now, see, now this is where we disagree. I, don't, I, I, I thought it was awful. I could not sit there. It was awkward. The whole thing in the scoreboard where they put up um, at, on the monster where, like, the C fell out of the wall and some guy <laughs> had to come out and fix it because they were trying to spell out respects with like with respect and the C fell out and like that was really awkward you could tell Jeter was like what is going on it's a complete fail and then he went out in short at shortstop that was a nice touch but then they had like every Red Sox player and their mother come out to shortstop and stand there with him and I just felt like that was a little overdone bringing all the captains back was a nice touch but at the same time it's why did you have to send out the entire current Red Sox team to stand there with him now granted we got a nice selfie from Joe Kelly out of it and his wife <laughs> And his wife's great tweet by his wife saying that he, she thought he was, she was going to marry Derek Jeter, and then he, she ended up marrying the guy who took a selfie. And that was great. I love that. So someone made a positive out of it. But I think that it's, it was overdone. I just don't think that you needed to invite back all the captains from the former teams. As much as I love seeing Troy Brown and Paul Pierce, like just have Yaz go out there with Ortiz, give him something, stand out there. If you want to have Bogarts go out there because of what it meant to Bogarts too, that's fine. But to me, it just and then don't get me don't I also don't want to get started on the whole them singing respect thing. That was so awkward them singing that song. It wasn't even Aretha Franklin, so like that was even worse. They got some girl who sang it on one of the live. I think it was I think it was uh, American Idol. She sang it on. She she was fine. She sang great, but you could tell Derek Jeter didn't know what to do. Like he was just standing there at shortstop, shortstop, awkwardly looking around. Him and Ortiz were laughing together. Like this is stupid. Like I don't know what's going on. The only really sincere part of that to me was um, when they had Peter Frades come out there. For the guy, if you don't obviously remember who he, who Frades is, he was the guy who was the spokesperson for ALS Ice Bucket Challenge and really got that going here for the way, uh, raising awareness for ALS. He, he used to pitch for BC, all that stuff, and I think that was the one moment where it was really sincere and really, I, I really felt like they did a good job with it because he's becoming an icon in this city, and to have him go out there with Derek Jeter and meet him and all that stuff. So I think that was a good touch. But like I said, that whole song and singing respect, that was probably the low point of that ceremony to me. <laughs> yes, I agree. The, uh, the song was a little bit overdone. And yeah, yeah, I didn't know if you talked, uh, addressing if it was overdone. It was most certainly overdone. Um, I was just saying it was a nice uh, way to send them off. But yeah, a lot of the stuff they did was overdone. But I, I did like bringing back the captains, uh, like I had mentioned earlier. It's nice when you bring back the uh, former greats from other games to play in Boston. 
and uh, send him out as he was one of the greats uh, for New York. That was definitely nice. But, you know, the cheering for Jeter, I, I just can't do. I mean, I respect the hell out of the guy. But, you know, at the end of the day, he's still a Yankee. And uh, I, I just can't dig out anywhere in my heart to cheer for the guy. Yeah, I don't I don't mind cheering for the guy. He's Out of all the times he's hurt us and all the time, and I guess he's a Yankee, but – I don't mind them cheering and the Derek Jeter chants and all that stuff because, granted, let's be real, 50, more than 50% of Fenway was probably Yankee fans yesterday. So I, I think that either way it was well-deserved, and I get it. But also on the Red Sox point of view, I just feel like they were trying to – they were still too much of how can we do it to make him respected rather than just doing how can we make it a tribute to him. I feel like it still felt too, like, red – like they, had, they didn't have to bring the whole team out there. I get the former Caps thing. I get it, but, like – they felt like they were trying to put the spotlight on them too much versus putting the spotlight on Jeter. It's kind of deja vu to the, uh, the 100th anniversary, don't you agree, bringing back all the players? Oh, yes, it was. And that that was kind of cool, I guess, for that point, for the 100th ceremony, just quick off tangent, because they that was them kind of like having everyone come out and like relive like partially of the 100 years that the Fenway. And I kind of get that that was cool. But even that, that was dragged out. That was too long. It just f- took forever. And it wasn't really a ceremony. It was just everyone walking on the field, and they were like, done. It wasn't, didn't do anything. They just said, oh, here's everybody who played here. Okay, let's play baseball. <laughs> so even then, they didn't really – they kind of failed for me in that sense. But I think the biggest criticisms for me for the Jeter ceremony to the Red Sox was – are basically – the guy talked way too much. It was way too much narration. Like they were forcing it and chugging it along. Like should have let the crowd noise get into it. Should have let things happen. Instead, they just kind of like it was too much. He was he didn't really stop talking throughout the entire thing. The song, obviously, that was saying our respect to Jeter. That was awkward. He felt awkward. It was just not. It was awkward. Um, I'm not really sure how you felt about this, Nate. But I was kind of eh about the whole Butterfield thing. That was cool that it had the connection and everything. But it, it's weird that they just gave him a pair of boots. Now I get it. L.L. Bean's up here. It's a New England thing, and that's where Butterfield's from. But I feel like they could have given him something more than just a pair of boots that had the Yankees on it. Yeah, that was a little awkward, especially if you didn't really know the whole connection between the two. That that could have been an awkward moment for many. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure people in the stands didn't really know what was going on. Now, they kind of explained it over the PA system, what was going on with Butterfield and Jeter. But if you didn't know that Butterfield used to coach him in the minors and all this stuff, and they had a great relationship, you didn't really have that much time to put it together. They kind of rushed through it, and that was it. So it's they had some high notes. They had some low notes. Now, Jeter didn't play that much this weekend. He came. He was at peace with not playing shortstop. He didn't want to play shortstop because of what happened in New York. Now, what happened in New York, because we haven't been on since that happened. Well, obviously, if, if you, I'm sure everyone and their mother knows by now, but if you don't, Derek Jeter hit a walk-off single in the bottom of the ninth, opposite field, RBI single to win the game for the Yankees in his final home game. That's typical Jeter inside out swing opposite field single for an RBI. That's typically what he did all career. That's what we know him for. It, I honestly, Nate, I don't think that could have happened. Like, I don't think you, you obviously couldn't have scripted it, but like, of course the Yankees were going to blow a three run lead in the top of the nine. So Jeter could win in the bottom. Yeah. I mean, of course, but that like you said, that, that was a great swing. Like you couldn't have scripted that. That was just perfect swing. Uh, typical Jeter. And uh, what a way to send him off from New York. That, that was excellent. Now I have all the respect in the world for his decision to not play shortstop. Yeah. You know, he, he decided he'd want to play shortstop because he wanted to take something from Yankee Stadium because they weren't ending the season in Yankee Stadium. So he wanted to take the vision of standing at shortstop during a game from Yankee Stadium. Didn't want to play shortstop at Fenway. Completely get it. 
Now, and he even came out and said that he was going to, right after the game, he said, I'm going to play at Fenway in some capacity, just not shortstop. Now, to me, if it, and he even said it, if it wasn't for Fenway, if it wasn't for them coming to Boston, if they say they were ending with Baltimore or Toronto or Tampa, he wouldn't have played at all. He would have sat there on the bench, let the, let, let that walk off be the end of his career, but he he out of respect and I lo- I appreciate this big time from him out of respect he played he at some capacity and he said he would make an appearance and he did and I applaud him for that. Yeah, that's definitely a great gesture. I mean, a team spent 20 years going against beating, uh, throwing a lot of blood, sweat, and tears against. That was uh, that was nice that he did that. Definitely a lot of history between Jeter and the Red Sox, and that's definitely why he did it. Um, they obviously did. At Yankee Stadium, they did a good thing for him. They had Jorge Posada, Andy Pettit, Bernie Williams was there. Mo was back, and they were trying to do this thing. And I remember Girardi saying in his press conference where they wanted to like walk him around the field and then have them come out and walk him into the tunnel like they were taking him into retirement into the sunset with Joe Torre and all of them because Joe Torre was there too. Now, I think that's funny because obviously he's the, he's the last one of that era, out of that Yankee era with Bernie Williams, the Posadas, all of them. He's the last one, so it's kind of a big deal. But I love how he just did it his own way. He didn't really walk around the field like they wanted him to. He kind of just stood there, and they just went and found him and gave him a hug, and that was it. And he just kind of did his own thing, and I really liked that because we ended up getting a great moment at Yankee Stadium from him with him just going out to behind second base right at the right at the edge of the outfield grass and just go down and put his head between his legs and just kind of sit there and pray and just kind of like take it all in. And he got a rounding ovation again from the crowd, and I, I love that moment even as a Red Sox fan because even as much as you don't want to – like the guy Nate, he did do a lot for this game, and I think that he deserved that moment. So I think that it was well done at Yankee Stadium, and I think it, it was definitely deserved for Jeter. Yeah, it was very uh, very well deserved for Jeter. I mean, he's probably the best shortstop to play for the Yankees, and I mean, the team was such a historic, uh, historic franchise like that. I mean, you couldn't have sent him off in a better way I mean him having the field to himself that was a great moment and uh, you're right he's the end of the era I mean the Giambi Matsui Sheffield all them they're all gone and uh, you know it was the last one standing I mean and that was great definitely an emotional time for the Yankees now that they look at their team heading into next season and the lots of those old Yankees fans probably couldn't name any of those guys yeah definitely you have to find the, the diehard Yankee fans to uh who are younger to really know who those guys are because they haven't played in a while, especially Posada and Bernie Williams and the like. But going back to Jeter at Fenway now, he didn't play Friday night. He was mentally drained. He played Saturday at DH, and then he had two at-bats on Sunday. Are you okay with him pulling himself out of Sunday after he got that RBI? Yes, I'm, I'm fine. And like he had said, he wasn't even planning – wasn't even going to play in the game if it was uh... – if it was against another team, so you know that I'm perfectly fine with that. I mean, he uh, he got his hit, and you know he was out of there. Why not let the guy end uh, end his career the way he wants to? Yeah, I have to agree. Now, I mean, obviously, I wish that he would. I would. We wish he would have played the whole game, but at that point, if you have a choice, you're going to go off on a hit rather than a strikeout. I, th- I think they were pretty jaded out by then. Yeah, I think he. I think they. I think even the Yankees were done with it. I think they just wanted to be done. I think the Red Sox didn't really care. I thought it was cool that. He stopped by. Um, I thought it was cool that he stopped by to, to Buckholz at the mound on the way to see um, to give him words of praise at the at, on the way from first base to the Yankee dugout. He got a great ovation, obviously, from the fans when he came out. I think it was definitely just all in all well done. 
I think it was a great gesture by the Red Sox, a great gesture by the Yankees. All in all, it was a great ceremony for Jeter, and definitely something that was well-deserved for him. All right, now we are joined by Antoine Staley. Is that how you say it, Antoine, the last name, Staley? Yes, that's correct. All right, Antoine Staley, writer for Bleacher Report, Cover 32, and many others, right? Covers the Red Sox. He knows he knows the Red Sox. You can find him on Twitter at Black Red Sox fan. He and knows his stuff my, now. Um, and that is my real Twitter name, the handle. <laughs> it really is Black Red Sox fan. I'm not lying to you guys. It really is. I'm, it's in front of me as we speak. I'm not making that up. Um, either way, we were just talking about um, the whole Jeter situation and how we went down at Fenway. Now, Antoine, I want to get your immediate reaction on this. How did you feel about the whole ceremony? Was it overdone, or do you think they did it right? I think I think they did it right. Honestly, I, you know, I didn't have a problem with them honoring Jeter because I think he's, you know, he's one of the best players of this generation, uh, and the Red Sox respect that. You know, he's a class at on and off the field, and the Red Sox really respect him. So, you know, I understand the Red Sox and Yankees have a rivalry, and some of the fans, you know, they live and breathe that rivalry. But at the end of the day, these players are really friends. You know, a lot of these players are, like David Ortiz and, you know, Jeter get along really well. So they have the utmost respect for him, despite the fact that, you know, the fans or the Red Sox and Yankees may not like each other, but the players really have a certain respect for one another. So I didn't really have a problem with it at all. Do you hate that they're friends? Side note, do you nah. hate that this rivalry isn't what it used to be? No, nah, not really. I mean, I don't hate it. I mean, it, it was fun in the 2000. It was a different time because the Red Sox were really trying to get somewhere. They were trying to get where the Yankees were. You know, they were, like I say, the curse and everything like that. Now it's become... These kind of these two are kind of like even now. Well, at least you know I know the Yankees have won 27 World Series and not not, but the Yankee Red Sox have been one of the best franchises in sports the past decade or so. So I don't I don't like I say it's a different time of the rivalry. I'm not saying it isn't you know it can't be a you don't have to hate each other, but it can be like a really respectful rivalry. It, it's not like the Giants and the Dodgers who just absolutely hate each other. It can be really like a respectful rivalry, and I think that's okay for me. Do you now we were just talking about the whole ceremony and everything and you, you said it wasn't it wasn't really overdone but now do you, if do you really feel that because of the considering we were joking about the whole when they were singing uh respect to Jeter now was that awkward for you or was that just us Well well that was a little awkward that part might have been a little <laughs> awkward yeah I, I don't know oh wait oh I do you do respect them but yeah that was a little you know yeah that that was probably the only part that I felt like okay yeah that's a little odd but you know, the whole the ceremony in general, I, I really thought it was really nice, and I thought the fans did a great job, and the organization of the Red Sox did a good job. But, yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you on that that particular part. <laughs> you got to get a little – you actually got to get Aretha Franklin if you're going to do that. You can't just have some wannabe sing it for him. If you're going to make it that awkward, at least get the real person to sing exactly, it. Exactly. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. Now, we were talking, too, about the beginning where – they messed up uh, where they were trying to spell with respect to Jeter yeah. and all that stuff. Now I thought I thought that was awkward too because they they messed up and they had to run outside of Fenway and get it. And Jeter was laughing. Now how much do you think 
Jeter thought the whole thing was awkward. Now, you're sitting here and saying it wasn't really awkward and it was a good gesture. How much do you think Jeter was like, this is awful, I'm done with this, like, this is really, this is all awkward, like, why is the whole Red Sox, current Red Sox team out here next to me? Like, this is weird. I don't think he thought like that. I just think, you know, he's probably, they've been, he's been having, like, the retirement tour all year, so I'm sure he's over the whole thing, but I'm sure he thought it was probably a nice gesture, especially considering, you know, he knew the Red Sox were going to do something, obviously, because he, that's why he decided to play. You know, I, yeah. like I say, he he knew the Red Sox were going to do anything. I don't think he would have played. I think any other team in MLB, he wouldn't have played that last series. But because it's the Red Sox, because he has a great deal of respect for the fans and the rivalry, I think he knew there was something that they were going to do something special for him. He, I don't know if he knew it was going to be as well done as it was, but he knew something was going to happen. So I don't think it was yeah. for him at all. Yeah, I have to. I kind of have to agree. I think that. He knew that. Well, obviously, he. I mean, he. He knew the parade was coming because he told people ahead of time that he was retiring. He saw what Mariano Rivera got last year and wanted it. He was begging for it, so he came out and said, "Hey, I'm retiring too," and knew he'd get the parade. So I think that's kind of where that stems from, and I think it's kind of been consistent since he announced his retirement before the season even started. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he basically knew he was getting it, so he figured, why not just announce it? Because he knew he could get it because everyone loves him so much. Yeah, but um. Yeah. You know, we're a Red Sox podcast. We can talk a little Red Sox baseball. I think we're all jeetered sure. out at this point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as, I think I, I think you agree with me with there. Yeah, that's why I think absolutely. we're all jeetered out, and I think we're it's, it's a time for him to leave. But this Red Sox team was awful this year, Antoine. I think we can all agree. They they barely surpassed the Bobby Valentine days. And they, they were very close to being worse than the Bobby Valentine days. So yeah. what was your biggest positive from this awful horrendous season that thank god it's over i think the biggest thing you can take from it was the fact that you got a lot of young players playing time obviously like i say you get obviously you got another year under bogarts and you brought brock Holt up mookie best came up obviously and then you end up getting castillo as well so you're able to get them playing time when i think you know that's the best thing you know for this team going forward you're able to get them acclimated to the MLB game and they really played well so i think if you take you can take anything from that you have to take the fact that they got a lot of young players playing time and that should bode well them carrying it over the spring training and you know now they've had those major league at bats and they have the confidence so they know they can play in the game they play they can play at this level so that'll give them confidence into the winter sub some play winter ball and then as they go down to Fort Myers in February Speaking of winter ball, today, actually, this just was reported today, um, Will Middlebrooks decide, told the team that they, other um, that he's not going to go play winter ball, despite the team's recommendations to for him to go play winter ball. Um, he wants to focus on staying healthy and not wearing himself down so he doesn't have to get hurt again. Do you think that's the right decision by Middlebrooks, or do you think the team is right in trying to get him down to, Whittle, uh, needs, to winter ball to fix his swing? I think he needs as many bats as possible. I mean, he hit 191 on the season. I mean, he's... Yep. He's really, really started to regress. Like each year, he's been in the league, and I think the more at bats could really benefit him. Now, if he feels like he's not, you know, totally healthy, then I, I can understand his point of view. But I, I think he ne- really needs those at bats, you know, especially you know, headed into spring training because he just it seems like he's just really regressed. And the Red Sox really, they like I said, they, they think a lot of him because, like I said, they see, they keep giving him opportunities when really. You know, a lot of other teams probably wouldn't have. They probably would have cut the cord or go in a different direction. But yeah, I'm I agree with the Red Sox. I think winter ball would benefit him well. Staying with Middlebrooks for a second, do you think that his he has any trade value at all right now? Because 
There's a lot of people talking about whether or not he should be gone and all this stuff. A lot of people are calling for him to be gone because Giacchini's coming up and he looked okay and he's a lefty, which helps when he's hitting because we need a left-handed bat. Now, do you think that Plus, also on top of that, the emergence of Brock Holt, who could yeah. play third base in the time being. Do you think that there's still a place on this team for Middlebrooks, and do you think there's any value uh, right now if they try to get rid of him before it, spring training? It wouldn't be much, I would imagine. <laughs> I don't think yeah. there's much for him, honestly. So maybe some kind of, you know, I mean, a low draft pick or, I mean, a low draft person that was played that was drafted really low in the draft or something like that. You're not going to get substantial value for him because like I say his game is really regressed I think you know a couple of years ago you would have because I think he really showed potential but now you know 191 average I mean he's you know like I say he's really regressed and had some injury issues and I, I wouldn't I can't imagine the team the other the other teams in the, in the league giving up a whole lot for him now I know some teams may think they hate he has a lot of potential, but if he doesn't have a whole lot of trade value so I can't really unless he's in a deal for somebody else I can't really see him any, you know, much value there. Yeah, I kind of have to agree. I think it makes sense that the way he's hit, like you said, he hit 191 in the season. You can't really do much with that in terms of trade talk. Not really much leverage there for Ben Sherrington. Um, Potential can only get you so far when you're trying to get a decent value back. I think I I, I mentioned Brock Holt and really quickly now I want to, I want to, get your opinion on this what what do you think his role would be on the team next year now it's really hard for me to think that he's going to be not on the roster what do you think Brock Holt gets to do when he comes back to spring training I think he's he's somebody you want to have you want to have somebody like him on your baseball team because he's an ultimate utility guy somebody that can play all different positions I think every team needs to have at least one yeah so especially you know, you're playing and you're playing in the American League. I think it really benefits them to have at least one player that can do all that. And that's Brock Holt. He can play third base. He can play shortstop. He can play second base. Like, he can play he, he, anywhere the Red Sox put him, he played and played really well. So I really give him I really give him the credit, you know, for him coming up and not, you know, complaining where, you know, he didn't, you know, I'm out of position. No, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not a left outfielder. You know, this is not for me. He, he like I said, he did his job and did, did it really well, you know. Hit 281. Like I say, not much home runs, but like I say, he was really to me. He was one of the MVPs of the team. Like not necessarily with the numbers, but just the fact that you know wherever he was asked to perform, he really did it really well. So I like I say, I think he'll find a spot on the team. I don't know what position it may be, third base. You know, it may be like I say, just coming off the bench, being a good utility guy, because you know somebody's going to get hurt, so he's going to make the roster. I have no doubt he'll be on the 25 man roster unless. He just absolutely just stinks it up in Fort Myers, but I, I don't I have I don't have a hard time believing that would happen. Have to believe that Brock Holt definitely is showing his what he is, and I don't think he's going to really diminish. He's definitely that guy you want on your team, like you said, Antoine. Again, we're talking to Antoine Staley, covers the Red Sox for Bleacher Report and numerous other sites, and he's he's a fantastic writer. You definitely go check him out. His Twitter handle is at uh, Black Red Sox fan. Again, now going into the off season here, Antoine. If you had to put a list of maybe, I'll give it three things that they really need to prioritize. What are your top three things in order of priority, what they need to do this winter to get back into potential uh, contention for October next season? Well, first of all, they definitely going to need, they need to adjust the starting pitching, honestly. First and foremost, I think everybody is in agreement with that. Uh, You know, obviously, you know, you let, you know, you trade John Lester and, you know, you have a, you you got a chance to see a lot of, you know, the young guys, but. Yeah, you know, you really need to 
have that ace, you know, once again, if you want to go ahead and, you know, get back to where they were. And I think that was the biggest thing with the Red Sox, just really their starting, you know, their pitching, you know. So I think first and foremost, whether it's you, know, you try to get back, a John, you try to get John Lester back, you try to go out to James Shields or, you know, Matt Scherzer, who I think is going to be a little, a little pricey, but, you know, you go ahead and, you know, try to offer those guys deals and, you know, you see what happens. So I think first and foremost, you know, that's one of the things they need to address too. You know, do they re-sign Koji? You know, I know Koji's um, up there. They're 40 years old. You know, if you if you don't if you don't decide to re-sign them, who's going to be your closer next year? So I definitely think that's a big you know thing. You know, if I was if I was the Red Sox, I would definitely look at that. And you know, three. I, I like I said, I like Andrew Miller. I don't know if they're going to you know re-sign him, but he would be a good addition to try to get back as well. So. I would definitely look, you know, if they don't, if they choose not to sign Koji, you know, there might be an option for them to go out to Miller and maybe he, he could be possible to be the closer as well. So, and also, you know, definitely in the third, the third thing is really deciding what are they going to do with the outfield situation? I mean, if they have a really, you know, crowded outfield, I mean, obviously they signed Castillo. They like to say, Mookie Best, what are you going to do with him? Then remember Shane Victorino is going into the last year of his contract. So what are you going to do, you know, with that situation? And, you know, so they have a lot of things to figure out as far as, you know, who with, what to do as far as, like, outfield positions and things like that. And also, Jackie Bradley Jr., we hadn't even talked about him. I know he's probably going to be the odd man out. I mean, he's a great fielder, but, you know, you have to be able to hit hit the baseball. So, they, like I say, those are the three things they really have to, you know, address going into the offseason. If you had a choice, Antoine, of Lester or Shields, can't have them both, who would you rather have here? <laughs> I mean, obviously you want you want um, John Lester, but you know what's the asking price going to be, and you know how much of the Red Sox going to ask for? Yeah, yeah, perfect world. I want John Lester back, and I said I said this on Twitter, like I, yeah, I would love to have him back, but you know at what price? I don't know if he does he want twenty five million a year? Like, is it all about the money? Is you know because if it is, he may he may decide to go to the Yankees, or I've heard rumors the Cubs are going to be interested as well, so. It's, you know, if it's all about the money, then he's probably not going to resign with Boston. But he he obviously loves Boston. He loves playing for the Red Sox and the fans. So, you know, that I'm sure that's a big attraction for him. So, yeah, I, I will, in between those two, I would take John Lester. But if we can, you know, if they can get James Shields, then I think they'll be just fine as well. All right, one last question. I'm going to put you on the spot here. What do you think his market value is, John Lester, that is? Well, I think that I think we're gonna find out depending on how deep that athletics are gonna go in the playoffs. I think him going over to Oakland has only increased the value even more. I thought it was high when he was with Boston. Now he's only increased even more. If he has an outstanding postseason, I mean, we're talking you know possibly twenty five, twenty six million a year possibly. And the thing is, do they you know the Red Sox really want to pay that? I don't know. You know, I know they lowballed him down there at Fort Myers. I you know I was down there and they gave him they offered a four year seventy million dollar contract, which is really you know you look at it now it's like you know it's kind of ridiculous that they had that offer. So I think he's looking you're looking anywhere from like twenty four, twenty five, twenty six million a year. So that's probably what you're looking at for him to be quite honest. And it may go like I say his value may go even up even more depending on how far the athletics go. Yeah, you got to think that he is going to be pitching for even more money in the wild card game that is coming up tomorrow night. And if he wins that game, I know the Red Sox have scouts going to that game between Shields and Lester. It's going to be a great pitching duel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a fantastic game, in my opinion. Yeah, I can't wait for that one as well. I'm looking forward to seeing that as well.
All right. Well, again, we've been talking to Antoine Staley of Bleacher Report, Pro Player Insiders, NGCS Sports, and Yakiway Report. He writes a lot of places. You can find them all in, <laughs> yeah. on one place uh, on Twitter at Black Red Sox Fan. Again, that's Black Red Sox Fan. Antoine, we want to thank you for coming on. And don't be a stranger if you ever need to talk about anything Red Sox related. Don't feel free. You can cl- jump back on again. Just let us know. Oh, anytime, anytime y'all need me, just uh, just just get at me, man. I'm, I love talking baseball, especially about the Red Sox. So it, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thanks, Antoine. We appreciate right, it. You take it easy. Yeah, you too. All right, again, that, of course, was Antoine Staley. Of all those websites we mentioned, we appreciate him coming on to the show. Now, Nate, he was talking about um, how he thought the outfield, how the outfield was going to go in Jackie. He brought up Jackie Bradley Jr. Now, Nate, what's your opinion on Jackie Bradley Jr.? Where is he going to be come spring? I think he's going to be out the door. I mean, you look at this current outfield, and you got no spot for him. I mean, you got... Alan Craig, who doesn't know where he's going to play. Victorino, who's a veteran, been around. I mean, you, you really can't justify a spot at this point for Jackie Bradley Jr. heading into next season. I definitely think it's tough to justify a spot for Jackie Bradley Jr. Cause considering, especially with the small sample size we've had, Castillo has looked good. His numbers have been better. He's, he's shown the power. He's hit a, a bomb on the Causeway Street over the monster. So he's definitely shown the potential and what our Red Sox scouts have seen in him. Definitely, uh, it shows that he has the potential to play center field. Now, what I want to I want to know your opinion on. Now, it doesn't really impact next year as much, but I kind of it just came out and it was reports that Cespedes wasn't sure yet if he wanted to sign here as an extension and whether or not he wanted to be in Boston if it was the right fit. Where do you see him fitting into this club if he if long term if he fits at all? Now, I don't believe he has the ability defensively to play right field here, which means he has to be put left. I think that's the best situation for him. Then, if that's the case you got a hole in right field because you either have to put Alan Craig out there or you have to deal with Victorino for a year. But what do you think Cespedes' future is here? I, Next year he's locked up, but other than that, what do you think? I think Cespedes will end up signing an extension. I mean, he's he's just too good offensively to let, uh, let go out the door. I mean, he's been, he's got a 100 RBI season. I mean, and you touch on right field. You know, I'm sticking Mookie Beto in right field, actually, and I'm making it a, a little competition at first base between Craig and Napoli because looking at Mike Napoli down the stretch, he doesn't have a starting job at first base, in my opinion. I mean, he hasn't done anything. To, to prove he's still he's still got the bat. I mean, he's got some injury issues, and the bat's just not there. And his defense this year has been god awful. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. His it, it wasn't a great season for him. Now I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because losing does do a lot to somebody, and he wasn't healthy all year. Now I'm intrigued to see what he does next year, but. I definitely want to see the Red Sox consider Craig at first, especially considering they have him. And he, if he can get back to his hitting ways, which he has been an all-star and he's been a solid player for the Cardinals for years, I think that he is definitely worth a look. And it's not just worth throwing him out the door just as a rental player for the last however months, many months we had him. It's not worth it. you got to give him a shot, especially because he's going to be on the roster. So that's definitely going to be an interesting battle. You might see him split time with Napoli. You're going to get days off. Craig will definitely play first. But there's definitely a lot of options to go for this team. Now, we were talking about the pitching with Antoine as well, and I kind of gave him the high spot question right on the – I put him on pressure of who he would rather have back, Lester or Shields, if he had the perfect world. And, of course, like most people would say, he would probably choose Lester. Now, 
I'm I'm in agreement with him. I think Lester is probably the best option because, yes, Shields has proven it in the AL East and everything, and he's probably going to come. A li- hope I mean I assume he's probably going to come a little cheaper, but I think realistically we were talking about this earlier, Nate. Whoever wins the game, the wild card game, they're battling it out between the Royals and the A's. Whoever pitches better is probably going to have a higher value depending on how their team goes. But I think Lester is the way to go because he's done it here. He's proven it here. He knows he wants to be here. Plus, he said he's not going to right away automatically go for top dollar, which means the Red Sox, the cheapos that they are, might not be out of it as quickly. Now, I would rather have Lester because he's a left-handed pitcher. Now, if you can keep Lester through the rest of his career, if you can get him back, then you eventually have Henry Owens coming back. That's two big lefties in your rotation, and that's huge moving forward. Yeah, and uh, you had mentioned um, whoever wins this game is probably going to get top dollar. I don't necessarily think that. I mean, I think Lester has solidified himself as a much better pitcher than James Shields. In fact, when I look at James Shields' uh, you know, career RA at, sitting at 3.72, you know, uh, when I think of James Shields, I never really considered him an ace. I mean, he's a, he's a good pitcher. I never considered him on that top tier as a John Lester, as a David Price. Now, many people are saying he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, and, you know, he very well is up there. But, like I said, I, I don't consider him a top-tier pitcher, and I sure in heck wouldn't give him top-tier money. I mean, first of all, I have no clue how he would pitch in Fenway Park. And people are talking about, well, now it comes to the uh, discussion, well, Lester, how much are you going to have to give him? I don't care how much money John Lester wants. If this team is in it, and this team is in it to win a World Series next year, they are going to open up their checkbook, open up their pocketbooks, and they are going to give this man as much money as he wants. Because quite frankly, he's going to be the key to this team's success going forward. And you have to bring John Lester back. I have to agree. Lester is the ace that they've been, they were looking. They will be looking for in. If they if Tom Warner was right and they have the deep pockets and they're willing to spend that money, then I have to believe that Lester is going to be top priority for them come winter once his playoffs are over. I guarantee you, as soon as the A's are eliminated, he they will probably be on the phone with John Lester, not there, not far thereafter, with the with not really an offer but just a chat of how you do and how catching up and kind of small talk to try to get that build that relationship back up to where it was. And look, I like James Shields as a guy. I like him as a pitcher. He's a great pitcher. But like you said, I don't believe he's an ace. I think I think we're in agreement with that. I think if you get James Shields and not James John Lester, I'm not going to be completely upset about it because you're still getting a great pitcher in James Shields. It's still an upgrade. It's still an upgrade from what you're what you're dealing with now. And if you could even I think for right now, I think you're okay with dealing with James Shields as your ace. I think if you can get two pitchers, whether it's James Shields and someone else, and you can get you can figure out Buckholz to be your third starter, then you're in good shape. Buckholz cannot be top two in this rotation next year. Absolutely not. And, uh, you know, a thing that kills Buckholz is, you know, the innings. He's just not durable. He doesn't go long in games. And quite frankly, when Clay Buckholz goes out there, I don't know about you, but I don't know if you're going to get nine innings in one run or you're going to get two innings in seven runs. I mean, he's you just can't tell what he's going to do. And, you know, that's a big issue he's had in his career yeah Buck has been very shaky of course he's gone from a no hitter to being terrible to having a career years and doing well in the playoffs for this team so you never really know what you're gonna get with Buck and that's why you cannot keep him in the top two because you always can if he's a three starter you can always push him back a day and it's not going to affect you as much because you're not relying him as much on the innings and the performances you would be a Lester a Shields or someone at the top of the rotation now like I said I would rather have him three if you can get someone else and Lester or she if you don't get say you don't get Lester because there are a lot of people saying that's probably not going to happen if you don't get Lester and say you do get James Shields 
would you want James Shields as your ace and get someone as a number two, or would you go out and find someone else to take that number one spot and then leave Shields at two? And if so, who would you get? Who, who do you think you would go for? Well, if they're going to settle on James Shields, uh, I think if they're going to pay him the money, he's going to end up as the ace. But, you know, a, a guy I like, and this is a guy that not many people like, because uh, he's pitching in the NL, is Aaron Harang. I mean, Harang goes deep into games. He's ninth in uh, the NL innings pitched. He's he's having a pretty good season uh, down in Atlanta. He's got 12 wins, a 3.57 ERA. He's a ground ball pitcher. And I think he'd fit well in Fenway Park. And, I mean, I'm not saying he's the two, but if you're going to leave Buckles as the two, I think Aaron Aran could be a quality three-starter and a guy that could fill out the rotation pretty well. I think that's definitely a safe option. It's probably an option that if they considered it, you'd have a good chance of landing him because, like you said, most teams aren't thinking about him. Most people aren't thinking about him. Now, for me, I'm going bold here. I think I, think I would still make, I would make that phone call to Philly and see what Cole Hamels is up to, uh, see what's going on over there in the city of brotherly love, because I think that, yeah, you don't want to give up top dollar for him, but I think you, you have enough prospects. And like we said, we don't know who's going where. And once you decide one piece of what's going to deal with in terms of the outfield or something like that, you'll know which prospects you can really kind of spare and which ones you can really deal with to get rid of. I think Cole Hamill should still be an option for this club, because if you can do Cole Hamill's and James Shields, which I believe they have the money to do, you're looking at a pretty solid top two with Cole Hamill, with Buckholz at three, and then you have young guys can fill out the top, the bottom two spots in the rotation, which I completely am okay with, especially where I think Henry Owens, if he has a D, he's probably going to start in Pawtucket next year, and he could end up in the rotation for all we know too. So I think Cole Hamill should definitely still be on the table for this team. You might call me crazy, and you might think it's not going to happen, but I still think it needs to be an option because Cole Hamill is in a terrible situation in Philly. As much as they say he's not up for, he's not up for grabs, he's not for sale, you really have to believe that if you go to Philly with the right offer and say, look, you're not going anywhere. By the time you guys are good again, Cole Hamels is going to be useless. We'll give you something to work with, and we'll take him off your hands. I think it might be worth trying. Yeah, Cole Hamels is definitely an option, but I, I would be – I'd hold the brakes on that option because I look at what Philly's going to want in return, and they're going to want a Bogarts. They're going to want a Betts. They're going to want even an Owens, and – I, I just see them, if the Red Sox are going to give up quality prospects, I just see that creating a gap at the ML, uh, Major League uh, team. I mean, if you're going to trade them a Bogarts and you're going to trade them a Betts, two guys I, I think highly of, well, then you're creating holes in the outfield and you're creating holes in the infield. And you don't want to create too many holes going into next year because we pretty much have established that the lineup, the lineup is, or the hitters on an everyday basis going into next year, they're pretty well set, unless barring a Giancarlo Stanton trade, which is probably not going to happen. Now, then you go into the pitching. If they're going to sign James Shields, and then they're going to go out and try and get a Cole Hamels to compliment him, I just wouldn't do it. I just don't think uh, trading for Cole Hamels is the direction they would go in. I just, I'd more realistic, I would see a Lester and Shields both sign rather than a Hamels traded for. Yeah, I definitely have to agree that Lester, uh, as much as I would like to see Colmos, and I'm definitely saying it's definitely worth it, it's more of a long shot than getting a Shields or a Lester. Like you said, Giancarlo Stanton is most likely not coming to Boston as much as everyone wants to hope it's going to happen. The Marlins already said they're willing to pay him top dollar and make him the highest paid player in Marlins history he's got two years left on his contract there's really no sense for them to trade him now especially whereas you gotta you gotta get him 
playing before you deal him because you get if you're going to actually trade him, you got to get top dollar for him. And with the injury, with the ball to the face, you got to get him back and make sure there's really no problems with him before you trade for him. And make sure, and before they would trade him, to make sure that, again, like they could get top, top dollar. But I don't think Stanton's coming here. I don't think he's. I don't think he'd mind it. But I don't think the Marlins. I think this is going to be that one guy who the Marlins realize they actually don't give him up. In the past, they've been the franchise to give people up for no reason, just because of the Marlins for some reason. I think, and they now have no reason to. This is the one guy they cannot mess up on, and I feel like the Marlins are actually going to get it right this time and not give up on Stanton. But like you said, Cole Hamels is probably not coming, but I, I still think it's worth a phone call. I still think it's worth a shot. You're going to have to open. You're going to have to open a lot of doors this offseason to make them a contender next year, and there's a lot of holes to fill. And I think you're going to use a, a mix of young prospects, older prospects. Um, so I think the Red Sox moving forward are going to be a definitely a heavy favorite to play a very heavy role in this offseason because they really have no choice. They have the money and the fans are going to be up their throat if they do not spend the money. So I think you're going to see a lot of action from Boston this, this winter starting winter meetings. If not sooner, probably come November, you're going to see a lot of action in this league and you're going to see a lot of action with the Red Sox on the phone and considering they need the help the most. Now, obviously we'll be here for you throughout the winter to give you that big news. So definitely have to, Stay tuned for us on that one. We'll bring you. We're gonna stay all off season after the World Series, so we'll get going for that as well. Give you more details as we go through the postseason. But to get off the Red Sox for the last few minutes here, Nate, you just let me know during uh, over our lovely message chat here that AJ Hinch was hired by the Astros. How do you feel about that? Yeah, that that's a interesting move. I mean, with a young team and a you know a guy caught uh, didn't have a ton of it, uh, you know experience catching behind the plate, didn't have a ton of success. It's definitely an interesting move. I mean, I'd question it in some sorts. What type of experience is he going to bring? Is he just a guy who they, they're just deciding to hire because he's a good guy? He's a baseball guy who lots of people know about. I mean, you definitely got to double question uh, the thought process going behind that. I thought Bo Porter, Bo Porter, I thought he had that right direction. He didn't have a lot of talent on that team wasn't given the best cards and he was really making the best of what with what he had and I, I just question it. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a struggling decision for me in terms of if I accept it or not. Hinch managed the Diamondbacks in two thousand nine, two thousand ten. He was kinda of thrown into that when he was a young guy, former catcher with really no managing experience. Besides that, it's almost like if you want to cross sports to basketball, it's like throwing Jason Kidd to coach the Nets without going through a system of being assistant coach, stuff like that. And I, I kind of have to question it now with this Houston, with him being signed by Houston to manage their ball club. I don't know if I like it. Only reason why I would uh, kind of defend it is because this team is, gonna, is going young and they, they're bad. They're awful. They don't. But they're, I think the catchers are the ones who really understand the game the most because they have to worry about every aspect, not just calling a game, but where runners are. And they really have to know the game. And I think catchers make the, I think in my opinion, catchers make the best managers. So he definitely has that going for him, but I just don't know if he's ready to manage a ball club yet. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward into the spring and how he does in his first year come 2015. But for now, AJ Hinch is hired by the Astros and we'll have to see where that goes. So now Houston's off the board. Arizona Diamondbacks need a coach. Uh, as of right now, Texas Rangers need a coach, but that's reported to be going internal as well. So 
right now it seems like the Diamondbacks are the ones who are on the board for next in line to hire their manager. Who knows how much they'll rush into that one. But before we head out of here, Nate, I want to get – we're going to talk a little postseason baseball. I've got some more baseball to keep track. And we'll be on here weekly still, including next week, um, all the way through the World Series. Now, we have a great – we start hitting on it. We have a great matchup, Oakland versus Kansas City. It's 8.07 p.m. on TBS. Leicester versus Shield is going to be on September 30th. So if you're past this, then I apologize, but we're going to talk about it anyway because we want to get our thoughts out for the listeners who are going to tune in before the game. Nate, what do you think? What are you expecting from this game? I'm expecting a very low scoring game with two <laughs> very good pitchers going at it. And I just think at the end of the day, Lester's experience in the postseason, uh, you know, he's his two, uh, 2.11 ERA going against Shields. Shields, not much uh, postseason experience. Uh, he's got an ERA hovering around five in the postseason, which is, uh, I got my eyebrows going up. And uh, I just see Lester out pitching him, and uh, I see Oakland advancing. I don't know about yourself. Um. I have to take Lester. We we had an argument about this. Who's the better pitcher, Lester or Shields? It's Lester. We are, we just discovered that. So I think by default I have to pick Oakland. And look, Josh Donaldson's been having a Donaldson's been having a phenomenal last stretch here, hitting well for that team. And Josh Reddick I think you're gonna, as well. Josh Reddick's been hitting well. You're going to see Johnny Gomes, some hacksaw Johnny Gomes <laughs> magic come out. I think for Oakland with that timely hitting, he's going to pinch hit somewhere. I think in this game he's going to bomb the ball. I think you're going to see Oakland dominate because Lester is going to dominate. This is why Billy Bean traded for John Lester. Now, they didn't expect him to be pitching game one in a wild card game. <laughs> they expected him to be pitching game one in a divisional round. Nonetheless, you still, pitch, you still got him to pitch in big games. Here's his first test in Oakland. I think he's going to pass with flying colors. We know how Lester is here in Boston. We know he can handle the pressure. Kansas City is just happy to be in the playoffs. They haven't been to the playoffs in a, in a long time, and I guess the game's in Kansas City, but I think Lester, it doesn't matter where Lester pitches. Lester's been to Yankee Stadium and pitched in the playoffs and succeeded. He's been to these hearts of these rivals at the Red Sox, and he, he knows how to pitch in big pressure situations on the road. I don't think going to Kansas City is any pressure for him. I think Oakland takes that game, not by big time, like you said. It's going to be a low-scoring affair, but it's going to be that one key hit, whether it's Donaldson, Reddick, or even Johnny Gomes coming off the bench, I think, or even starting if he starts in left field. I think he... You're going to have one big hit by the A's. Other than that, I think it's going to be probably a one or two nothing ball game in favor of the A's. They're going to move on to play the Angels and then get smoked. <laughs> um, so realistically, the, the Angels are my favorite. We'll talk about. We'll get into that further as we get along. But we have obviously the NL wild cards to talk about too. San Francisco Giants, Pittsburgh Pirates. Both teams had to go on a tear late, especially the Pirates went. Red Hot Pirates coming in the end of the season to get into the wild card. Pittsburgh is hosting this game. This game's Wednesday night at 8 p.m. on ESPN. Baumgartner versus Volquez. I got Baumgartner and the Giants because Baumgartner's been pitching phenomenal. And yeah, the game's in Pittsburgh, but I've had the Giants. So I had the Giants winning the division against the Dodgers. That was a bold pick on me. But I think the Giants have it all, and I think Baumgartner gets through. San Francisco moves on. They get on, and then between them, him and PV and all, and the, the offense that they can produce at times, I think San Francisco gets by Pittsburgh. 
I would tend to disagree. I think Pittsburgh gets by San Francisco, and, uh, and a big reason is the game's at home. Uh, Pittsburgh's, if they were playing on in San Francisco, I'd say San Francisco, they're going to win the game. But I think uh, it's key that they're playing at home. they got a group of young guys. Edison Volquez, he's having a very good season. And I just think it's finally Pittsburgh's year where they're going to move past uh, – get into the playoffs, actually, which they are, which is incredible. I think they're going to move past the first round. And um, Edison Volquez does have some success versus the uh, the Giants' bats. I mean, you look down, he's held Brandon Crawford hitless, uh, Ishikawa hitless, Michael Morse hitless. Uh, Hunter Pence has only got two hits and – uh, 36 career at bats against him. He has had some success against the uh, the bats there in San Fran. So I look for Pittsburgh to move on. Pittsburgh last 10 games of the season went six and four, but before that they went on a tear. I believe the last 10 games in the previous segment of 10 games, if you want to call it that, weird way to word it, but they went like eight and two or something crazy like that. So they've definitely been hot. I, I, I can see why people would pick Pittsburgh. I just something about San Francisco. But if if you are right, Nate, which you have been right more times than me in this situation, so I'm going to play your scenario. If you are right and Pittsburgh moves on, do they go any further? I don't think so. I think I mean I think with the, any team, once they hit the uh, the Dodgers, they're toast. I mean the Dodgers have pretty much bought themselves into the a playoff position and are pretty much going to buy themselves into winning the NL. I think. Uh, the Dodgers will get by oh, Washington, hold on, Washington hold on. when they do play them. You are very, very quickly dismantling the Washington Nationals. Oh, I, 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 honestly, the, the Dodgers just have so much talent up and down that roster. I, I just can't, I can't fathom a way that they would, would not get to the World Series in my eyes. But I mean, that's just my opinion. I def, I have to agree, but especially the way their their emergence has come on, and they have the pitching now, and. I do believe Yasiel Puig is, is understanding what it takes to lead this team. And I think the Dodgers definitely will be right there NL to play for the NL crown. But I just don't want to dismantle the, and just discard the Washington Nationals yet with 96 wins on the season. You can't really do that. Um, I think that'll, that'll be one heck of a series if they do meet. But overall, Nate, we have some great, great matchups coming our way in the playoffs. It's going to be an exciting postseason despite the Red Sox not being in it. That's okay. Less stressful. Less stressful. We can just enjoy baseball, even though I did enjoy the stress last year, not going to lie. Oh, yeah. Um, we got good postseason coming for it. We're going to cover it all here on Red Sox Beat. Uh, we're going to be here every week through the World Series being over, and then we'll give you details on what we're going to do during the offseason. But we will join you during the offseason. We're not going away. We're going to be here strong talking baseball during the cold winters to give you a little hope that spring is coming. That's going to be us. We're going to do that for you. We don't want to make you suffer through the winter alone. We're going to be here right by your side the entire winter. But before we do, I just want to remind you guys uh, to go find us on our iTunes and Stitcher pages, clnsradio.com backslash RSB iTunes and then backslash RSB Stitcher with the same beginning. It's a big thing for us. You guys go on there and share our like and subscribe and share our podcast and get our downloads up. We want to get all of our Listeners on board with us and, of course, on board with CLNS in general. We want to make sure we get out there and get to as many people as we can. We really feel like we're bringing you a great product here in Red Sox. Nate and I are busting our butts to get you guys some good quality content. We want to 
help share it with your your family, friends, and everybody else who loves the Red Sox and baseball in general. We're big baseball junkies ourselves, and we like to do this for you guys. So we definitely would appreciate any more likes. And obviously, we have Twitter at Red Sox Beat on Facebook. We are and now have a Red Sox Beat Facebook page, so go like that as well. And we'll be posting our show up there as well as updates and everything. So and breaking news will get up there as well. So definitely stay tuned for that. But other than that. We got some good wild card games coming up. Then the divisional round start by the time we get on next week. So enjoy some good baseball. Until next week, I am joined by Nathan Rollins. I am Jared Scout. Have a good week. <laughs>